Man, Trinity Church, how you doing today? Doing good? It's good to hear you again. You guys sound so great. Can we give it up for the band and thank them? What a great job. And we're going to mix things up a little bit today. Uh, We're going to do the offering right now. And I know that almost sounds comical, like, really, Todd? But we are. So what we're going to do, if, uh, and the great thing is, you know, when we think about giving the opportunity to give our gifts, it's an act of worship, just like you've been doing up here. And as we've been enjoying the band and enjoying what they've done and led us, so now we get to give out of our gratitude to God. So if you came prepared to give, if you're a visitor, please don't feel any obligation to give. You're our guest, and we are so glad that you're here. But if you're usher, greeter, I know, stand up. I know, you're like, Todd, this isn't what we're going to do. I know, trust me, trust me, okay? And then as I get rolling, we'll go ahead and start our time together that way this morning. Well, you are here. You made it. You're week two. We're beginning this brand new series, something about a football. And some of us are like, man, is he always going to do these sports series things? Like, what is that about? No, I won't. But we're trying to capture this idea. We kind of introduced this series last week, considering the idea of a very fundamental approach. The famous Vince Lombardi, great coach of the Packers, began a season after losing in what was now known as the Super Bowl Started with his players rather than brand new strategies. Let's go back to basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. So we kicked off last week with that same idea in mind. We don't want to assume that we know what each other means when we talk about some very important aspects, some fundamentals of what it means not only to be a Christian, but to be a local church. And that's what we want to embrace today as we kind of move forward and move in that direction. So I'm excited to be with you. One of the things that I'm excited about is introducing you to my son later on. You'll get that in a little bit, and I'll tell you more about that as we get there. Well, the the tagline that we're using in this series is getting on the same page with God about his objectives for his church, and that's kind of this idea of of starting out. We start a brand new chapter together as a, a team at Trinity Church, and as we do, looking forward to what God's gonna say. So we even begin a brand new chapter, as it were, in the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, book Bible, electronic Bible, if you'd open to Ephesians chapter one, we are um, continuing to keep you off your pen. The very first week I was with you, we tried to literally cover an entire book of the Bible in one setting. Last week we took on two verses, and today we take on one sentence. So you don't even know what to expect when you come here, and I love it that way, okay? So, uh, so good thing. But today what we're doing is we're, we have the real privilege of looking at a passage that is so rich and so very full related to what it means for our salvation to even be possible. That's what we're diving into today and what it means to be included into God's family, what it means to join the team. Now you'll notice that our message title today is the idea that the name on the back of your jersey. And if I were to ask you today, what's the name on the back of yours? Well, as a going away gift, and and USC fans, do not be mad right now. You will beat us this year anyway, so give me a break, okay? But as a going away gift from HDC, they gave me a jersey, and they put my name on the back, which I thought was great. I can't wait to wear it to a game this year, and everyone going, Arnett, who is that guy? Must be some great, amazing legend from UCLA lore. And then I'll come back to some later games, and then everyone will start having it. It'll be great. We'll start a a brand new thing of all these Arnett jerseys. But today what I want you to consider is that if you're here today and you have put your faith in Jesus, if you've made that decision and you have responded to God's invitation for salvation, then there is a very powerful truth 
that I want you to not just be interested by, but I want you to be engaged in. And I want you to respond today. Because today's message is response worthy. You see, when you have been brought into God's family, what has happened is you've not just been given a new jersey with a new name on the front. That's that you're playing for a new team, but more importantly, you've been given a jersey that has a new name on the back. Because you're not just on a team. God says, you are my son, you are my daughter. You're in my family. As we discover what it means to be in Christ, what it means to find our identity in who he is, like last week's game plan, what it means to live according to whose you are, we're gonna push the ball down the field farther in that idea today. And I wanna tell you with great news, if you're here today and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, that you haven't responded to the invitation that God makes to you, I wanna tell you great news because maybe for the very first time, you're gonna hear today how it is that God has loved you and what he's done on your behalf and the invitation he extends to you today. I can't wait for you to get to hear that and respond as well. So like we said, today's passage is very unique. Now we're actually gonna look at 12 verses in our English Bible, but the, the New Testament, the book of Ephesians, was originally written in Koine Greek, and in the original Greek language, this is Paul, and he can't stop. This is one long, incredible, continuous run-on sentence. Verses three to verses 14. Another thing that's really significant about today's passage is all three members of the triune Godhead will be represented. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. It's one of the unique passages in Scripture where they're all found in the same you know, paragraph or so. And in doing what you're gonna hear about them is not just that they're present, but the role that they play in your salvation. And I can't wait to look at that with you today. But so what? That's the, the thing, the question is you get to know me, the question I ask about every time that I'm teaching from God's word. But so what? What is this supposed to do in us? What is this supposed to do to us? And how should we respond to God? And the great news is that the very first verse in our passage today explains that. Look at your screen or look in your notes. Chapter one, verse three. Praise, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. What's the first word? Say it aloud. Praise. praise. Now, often when we say things, we'll say, oh, praise God, you know? And it's almost this kind of Christianese phrase we use all the time. This verse, though it's not an imperative verb, it's not a command verb, but I want us to see it that way. I want us to see it as a call to action because it is that. We should be praising God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of the way he's blessed us. So today we're going to do that. And multiple times within our passage together today, we're going to take a moment to pause and we are going to praise God. The phrase I thought we'd use today was, yea, God. Now that goes with our whole theme, right? You're at a sporting event. People have no problem very verbally, very loudly praising their team, as it were. A guy runs 90 yards into the end zone and everyone's not like, yay. Good for him. They're going nuts. Their teams just scored. They're going crazy. That's what we're gonna do today. So let's practice together in the count of three, a big yay God. One, two, three, yay God. And we're gonna say, oh, you good. That was good. I like that. We're gonna do that throughout the day today because God is worthy. 
of everything about our lives, including the way that we would verbally praise him. So we're gonna dive in. Look in your notes. Praise is the appropriate response. Praise is the appropriate response because God has planned, God has purposed, and God has preserved, I'm sorry, our connection to him. So we're gonna do that today. We're gonna praise him all throughout. Number one in your notes, God has changed the name on the back of your jersey by adopting you as his child. God has changed the name on the back of your jersey by adopting you into his family as his child. You see, throughout the Bible, we have different terms that we use to kind of explain or describe the relationship that you have with God. And what's fascinating is every single one of them relate to the way God meets your needs. Listen to some of the phrases. We say things like salvation, inferring you're being saved from something. Words like rescued, obvious, you were in peril. Even phrases like pardoned or forgiven means that you owed a debt. Found, you were lost. Born again, an interesting phrase in the Bible, but it infers that you were dead and needed life. So all of these are the types of ways that we describe the relationship of what God has done for us out of his love. Today we're gonna see it through the lens of adoption, another way that God connects himself to us. Now, adoption's not a new idea to you. Chances are likely that you're in the room today, you're an adoptive parent, or you're someone who was adopted into someone's family, or even the fact that you have someone very close in your relational world who has adopted someone into theirs. Adoption's not a new idea, it's a great idea. But the thing I want you to catch from the very beginning is this, that adoption is not even a new idea in the Bible all the way in Ephesians in the New Testament. We go all the way back to the former Testament, the Old Testament, and we'll find that when God describes his relationship with Israel, he'll say, from the nations, I adopted you as my own, my sons, my daughters. So even that concept of relating to God through the lens of being adopted is not new. But here's what I want you to understand. That Paul's initial audience, as he wrote this epistle, this letter, and it went to the believers at Ephesus, when they were hearing the words adoption, they were thinking something very different from you. Because in the first century, nobody, listen to this, nobody adopted children. Nobody adopted children. They only adopted future heirs. H-E-I-R-S. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Let's take a minute today and let's pull away for a little bit. Let's have you not be you for a minute. Let's have you be a 14-year-old young man. Now, for some of you actually sitting down close, you're just being you. Okay, be you, (laughs) which is great. But for the rest of us, be a 14-year-old young man. And one thing that we can't relate to is you're not just a a 14-year-old young man today. You're a 14-year-old man in the first century who was a slave. Another thing we can't relate to. From the very beginning of your life, you were born into slavery. You've never known anything different. You've never had the ability, the freedom to simply live your life. You've always been told how it's going to be and what you're going to do. And in that relationship, you've simply grown up. You know nothing different. You are owned by a master. You are absolutely that, a piece of property. And he's harsh and he's cruel. Now, you live on the outskirts of Ephesus, and across the way, up on a hill, there's another owner, and actually the wealthiest man in all of Ephesus named Festus lives up on that hill. 
He has a son who lives with him. His name is Marcus. And out of his wealth, one thing that you know, though, like why would you even know who he is or about him? Because you see him in the community. He actually is not a hermit on a hill, but he comes into the community and he helps people. He's compassionate and he's kind. You see his son Marcus with him and they both demonstrate a form of of caring that you've never seen before. You've actually even been invited to their home once before as your master and all of his household was invited to a gala event. And you remember walking around and just seeing truly the, the majesty of his home and thinking in your head, oh, to be even one of his slaves. That sets the table for where we're at today in Ephesians chapter one. Take a look at verse four. For he chose us. He being that God that we're praising today, God the Father. For God chose us in him, talking about Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one that he loves. Now, when you read that, doesn't that cause us to say, yay, God, let's do it. One, two, three, yay, God. We read those words and we read about a God of love. You might know a God for lots of other types of descriptors, but this, what the Bible portrays him to be, and is an amazingly generous and compassionate, purposeful God of love. This is who the God of the Bible is. Now, these two members, these first two members of the Trinity, we'll get to the Holy Spirit later, but they're, they're described in this way. Praise is given to a father who intentionally chose you. He intentionally chose you, and not just chose you, but chose you ultimately to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's an amazing reality. I want you to stop and process that for a minute. God chose you. You. The person in elementary school who was often picked next to last when you played dodgeball. The person in junior high that never got that valentine from the cute guy or girl. The person who didn't get the job even after the solid interview. The person who keeps getting passed over for promotion. You. God, the creator of the universe, even though others might have rejected you and set you aside, God chose you. That should do something in you. It's an amazing truth. You had plenty of other experiences of not being chosen, but this verse says that God wanted to have you on his team and change the name on the back of your jersey. Notice what fuels or drives his choice, the phrase, in love. In love, or he does this out of his pleasure and will. We'll see that word again today. Pleasure. God takes pleasure in choosing you to be his own. That's so amazing and good. Not because he was constrained to do so, because nobody constrains the creator of the universe to do anything. He is God Almighty. And this should cause something on us. What should we do? We should do it. One, two, three. Yay, God! So how does the Father do all this? How does he choose you? Well, he does so through the mode of adoption. Now, like we said, adoption in the first century It had actually a process to it. It was the means by which to secure an heir. We've talked about that. What kinds of families would need to do that? Well, number one, it'd be a family who had no male heir. 
Now, I know that sounds very, you know, just male-centric, and the first century was. I love, by the way, as Corey was sharing today, I love that Trinity Church, both prayerfully and financially, supports missionaries to go and develop and encourage and train women to be wonderful, godly representatives of Christ all around the world, especially in places where women are still second and third class citizens. That makes my heart so happy when she was being interviewed today just to hear that truth. So ladies in the room, don't be put off today that this is very much through a male lens. We keep saying a 14-year-old male. We say it for a reason. But here's the point. Paul's gonna tell us later that the status, even though that you might not be that person, the status of you being in Christ makes you that person. He's later gonna tell us there is no male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. We're all, and we're gonna hear this theme so strongly in chapter four, we're all one in Christ. So don't get hung up on that today. Instead, just enjoy the status of what a future heir would get to enjoy. <clears throat> now, if a, a family didn't have a male heir or maybe had an estranged son who would not make a good fit, then they would go and do one of two things. They would either take a slave out of their own home, a male, or they would go and purchase one. And in this process, then, they would actually be a very public process for adoption. There would be three asks, and I'm really emphasizing the K in that word ask, okay? Three asks, and within it, it was called a process of adrogation. Adrogation was the word, and that's what the Latin word means. It comes from a word that means to ask. First off, the father was asked, do you take this son to be in your home and ultimately to be your heir? Then to the, the young man, do you say, yes, I will, I will willingly be in this home and take on all the rights and responsibilities of one day being this man's heir? And what I think is really cool, the third component, the people. The community was invited to this event and the community was asked, do you say this is a good relationship and do you affirm that this is happening, are you witnesses? That's what adrogation, what adoption was and the process of it in the first century. So when Paul was writing to the Ephesian believers, this is what they were thinking about. And you could tell that parts of this would be very confusing to them. The first one being, why does God need an heir? Number one, is the creator of the universe, but number two, we even read about his one and only son. And look at the phrase about him, in the one he loves. He's not an estranged son. He's not absent. But yet out of that relationship, God the Father changes the name on the back of your jersey through the mode of adoption. And Jesus is shown in these verses to be the means or the mode or the method of such a process. Though he is a suitable, rightful heir as son, he is the way in which we actually gain entrance, not even only into the Father's family, but to be an heir. The phrase in Christ or in him, we're going to find it all over the book of Ephesians. We're introduced to it thickly in chapter one. But here's the beauty of that idea to the Ephesian believers and to us as well today. We no longer need to try to find our identity in anything less, not in our accomplishments, not in our endeavors, Check this, not even in our tragedies, because we can find our identity in lots of different types of things. God says, find who you are and who I say you are in Christ. Track this phrase. God's telling us here that when he sees you, he sees his son. That's what it means to be in Christ. 
Process that just for a moment. When God the Father sees you, he sees Jesus. That's got to be so incredibly liberating, and liberating because you know who you are. I don't look around the room when I say that and go, oh man, it's really good over here that that guy is found in Christ because I know him. I go, man, God, thank you. All I have to do is look in the mirror. Thank you that when you see me, you see the perfect, sinless life of Jesus because now I'm found in him. I have a new name on the back of my jersey. And that brings us to this great thought. Number two in your notes. God has changed the name on the back of your jersey by redeeming you from sin. God has changed the name on the back of your jersey by redeeming you from sin. Back to being that 14-year-old slave for a moment. Your master makes this announcement out of the blue. You didn't expect it. He says, basically, I'm cleaning house. I'm gonna put a bunch of you up for sale, and you're one of those chosen, you and about a dozen others. And you're brought to the slave auction, and you come and you take the posture and position of any slave that's about to be sold. They put you up on a box. You've heard the phrase, you're on the block. That's what they would do. And you'd be stripped naked because in order for someone to purchase, they have to know what they're getting. And you'd be bound hand and foot. So you're on this block, stripped naked before everyone. People are coming to the slave auction from near and far, poking, prodding, having you turn around, all the business. You could not be more humiliated. Yet in the process of that day, in the far distance, you notice Marcus and Festus. You notice that man who lives on the top of the hill, who's kind and gracious, and his son Marcus. You notice them walking your way. And you wonder in your, your heart, are they coming to the sale? How, how crazy would that be that they would actually buy me maybe and take me back? And actually, the, the, thought, the plot thickens because they show up and they actually do come and attend the, the auction. And, and Festus walks right up to your owner and he says, how much for all of your slaves today? I'd like to buy them all. Your heart leaps. You, you're close enough that you can hear the conversation. And your heart leaps because you're thinking, maybe this can happen. Now, you've known your master to be harsh and cruel, and the evidence of his heart comes so clearly when he simply says this in reply. Festus, your money is not welcome here, but I'll make a trade for you. I'll give you all of these slaves in exchange for your son. Now your heart drops because you know that the offer is ridiculous and cruel. And you're even embarrassed on your master's behalf that he would even say such a thing and you just look down and shake your head. But your gaze rises as you hear Festus's answer who, without really even a pause, simply says, let it be so. His son Marcus is standing right next to him and doesn't hesitate but leaves his father's side. And as they were standing here, Marcus is walking past you and he sees you up on the block. He looks at you with a gaze like you've never seen before. Eyes of compassion and eyes of love that you have never witnessed in your lifetime as he walks right past you over to give himself away. You don't even know what to think, but you're hoping against all things that this is actually happening. 
The Bible says this, this is what happened when Jesus willingly gave himself up for you. That you were chained, you were owned by sin and yet the price to be paid was something monetary riches could never afford but his sinless blood could. Read on, look at the next passage that we're in. We're in chapter one, verse seven. In him, now we're talking about Jesus. In him, we have redemption. The idea of buying back something, ransoming it. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Well, look at this word, that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to what that, here's that word again, his good pleasure. God finds pleasure in adopting you into his family, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment. To bring unity, look at this phrase, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Here's what we read, that in order for you, a slave to his sin, to be adopted as God's heir, a price had to be paid to purchase your freedom. That price is the blood of Jesus. Notice the language that we see here that made that available. Redemption was made possible, how? Out of the riches of God's grace. God, so rich in love and kindness, pays that price. So the sinless blood that was spilled at Jesus' cross in your place It provided the payment that made it possible for you to be adopted into the family. What's the result? What's the result of being in the family of God, of being in Christ? Don't turn there, but look at the screen. Romans 8, 1, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those what? In Christ Jesus. These, track this, these are words of truth. I know there have been seasons in your life, maybe even today as you walked in the door, when you feel condemned. For a host of reasons from a host of places. But track this. This is what the Bible says. That when you are in Christ, that's impossible. There is now, therefore now no condemnation. You cannot be condemned because Jesus has made everything new. You'd be missing a very significant idea in this passage, though, if you didn't look at that last phrase in verse 9. How, how everything is put underneath the headship of Christ. So everything flows from God's joy, his pleasure in making you his own. We keep seeing that word, out of his pleasure, out of his will. It, it's like this. You can't even fathom that kind of love, but you can maybe experience a taste of it. If you're a parent in the room, you know what it's like to plan and, and to... to to plot for something that would be just so amazing for your kids. In, in the Arnett family lore, there was the trip, okay, the trip. And it was about 10 years ago this fall that we took this epic trip that started in Kentucky and Tennessee and made its way to Georgia, ultimately to the promised land of Orlando and all things Mickey Mouse, okay? <laughs> So, uh, so we go on this epic trip, and I'll never forget, we're driving across, we've, we've been out of our area for about a week, and we're finally getting there, and we drive across the Florida state line, and we're asking our kids, do you know, do you know where we're going? And they're like, no. Nah. We keep driving and driving, it's probably about three hours from the state line to Orlando, and we keep driving, and as we do, we're passing signs, signs that say, welcome to Disney World, and we ask the kids, do you know where we're going? Huh? Where? 
we're excited, but we don't know why, you know? And it was great. It wasn't until we literally are close to getting off the freeway. We were this close. They probably saw the fireworks show at night. And of all kids, of all kids, it was my four-year-old, Kendi, who goes, are we going to Disney World? (laughs) And we're like, yeah. And they go, yeah! Just going crazy in the car. And I got to tell you, those moments of joy and excitement were worth all the planning, almost worth all the money. that it costs to plan and prepare that trip. So as a parent, you can taste a piece of that joy, a piece of that pleasure and what it means, but we find just an ounce of that great pleasure in doing things for our kids. God, times an infinite number, loves doing this for you. As a result, what do we say out loud today? Say it with me. Yay, God! A great aspect of this news that you hear today, we mentioned earlier, we said it's actually in verse 10, that he brings all things. So as much as God so deeply loves you, he does this primarily through the love of his son, his one-of-a-kind, unique son, Jesus. And look at that last phrase, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. It's all about, and I love this, in Hebrews, remember it refers to Jesus as your brother. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought of Jesus as your big brother? The Bible portrays him as such. Theologically, it's a true statement. It's a great thing to just sit on that for a little bit. What does that mean for Jesus to be my brother? Look at a parallel passage from Galatians 4. When I was here candidating with you, this is one of the messages that I gave. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, it's the same word we see in Ephesians 1, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Look at that phrase, when the set time had fully come. Jesus came at just the right time to bring all things underneath his leadership. And that brings us to our final point today, number three. God has changed the name on the back of your jersey by sealing you as his heir. By sealing you as his heir. Back to the slave block. This whole transaction has just happened. You're stunned, but you're still naked and shackled. And reality takes a moment to process, but it comes back and you realize, okay, this is a much better situation, a bigger improvement than where I was for sure, but I'm still a piece of property. And it's then that Festus, now that he's made the exchange, he has the keys And he comes over and you're expecting him to grab your your shackles and to lead you back to his house. But instead he walks over to you and he takes the keys and he pops the locks. The shackles from your hands, the shackles from your feet fall. You're doing the math. You're a lot faster than he is. But yet you don't go anywhere. As you step down from the block, he puts a robe around you to cover your nakedness. And he does so for each and every one of the former slaves he has bought. And he looks at all of you and he says, now my children, let's come home. You remember walking that road. You'll never forget it. You'll never forget leaving the slave block that day and walking home and trying to process and wrap your head around this idea. Is this even happening? Am I in a dream? Because if so, don't wake me up. And it was when you walked past the former house you used to serve at. Then it became very real. I'm not turning down that walkway. 
I'm walking past it to somewhere else. You walked into Festus's home through the threshold and looked around, and he noticed the look on your face that you thought this was all too good to be true. So he singled you out. He walked towards you, and he looks at you, and he says, I know this is hard to believe, but you have to trust me. This is real. You're mine. Not my slave. You are my son. And he says to you, yeah, I know you used to have a name. I don't even want to call you that anymore because that's not who you are. I'm giving you a new name. And he said, look over there, and you look, and there's this huge dining table, and he says, that's your chair, third from the end. That's your seat when we eat at meals. And, and just to make sure you understand that this is real and that I mean it, I'm giving you this. And, and you wince a little bit because in other times what you had heard when slaves were bought and, and re taken to a new home, they're always branded, like you brand cattle. To make sure that if they run away, you know whose they are. In this case, he doesn't bring a brand, he brings a ring with his insignia on it, and he places it on your finger, and he says, you're home. And rightfully so, you're overwhelmed. This is the gospel. I don't know if you've ever fathomed the depth of what it means to not just be saved from hell, but to be adopted into God's family. But this is what it means. This is what it is. And it's not because I made up a great story and it says so, the Bible says so. Looking at your next passage, the next part of our, our text today in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 11. In him, in Jesus, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him, to God the Father, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, what? In order that we, we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Catch this, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What do we say aloud to that? Yay, God. Look at these distinctions. This is the very first time in Ephesians we'll see a we and a you. We haven't seen that yet. Obviously, we're only a few verses in. You're like, Todd, that makes sense. But we're gonna really unpack this in chapters two and three. Commentators are all over the map on this, but I think the most accurate understanding when you think of the rest of the book is that the we is Paul writing about himself and the other Jewish believers, meaning they were heirs of the promises of God. They heard the gospel. Not every Jewish person responded in faith, but Paul and others did. They were first, and now you, the gospel came to you, Gentile Ephesians, and as it did, you've responded as well. We're gonna find there is no barrier between Jew and Gentile, they're one. That is a huge idea in the book of Ephesians, and we'll get there. The proof, what is the guarantee that this is all real? God has given a down payment. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He's given you the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Now, we would never say in a theology of the Holy Spirit, that's the only purpose of the Holy Spirit, but it's a unique one. What basically Paul is saying is this, at the times when you wonder, did this happen? Am I really a child of God? Go back to the deposit, and very interestingly enough, that word in Koine Greek, it's, it's, it literally obviously means it's translated deposit, but now in modern Greek today, that word is still used. And isn't it interesting that what it's used for is that of an engagement ring? It's saying I'm good for it. I'm giving you a deposit 
that I'm going to make good on this promise. That's the concept. You were marked in him with a seal, not branded like cattle, not that kind of seal, but a ring put on our finger that says, I meant it, you are mine. Remember this in the times that you doubt. So this marking, this seal is inherently different. The idea that every believer would have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. What a great song today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You are here, but we acknowledge your presence and we say move. Be at work in us, change us. John Stott said it this way, it's on the screen. In giving the Holy Spirit to us, God is not just promising us our final inheritance, but actually giving us a foretaste of it, which, however, is only a small fraction of the future endowment. Back to that parallel passage in Galatians 4, look at this verse, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. So today, out of that reality, every week we're walking away with a game plan. This is our reality this week. Praise God for the new name on the back of your jersey. Now, like we said earlier, we can use that phrase, oh, praise God. No, no, no. This is meant to be an active call to action. This week, actively respond, actively play out what it means to thank God for the new name on the back of your jersey. And we do that loudly together today. One last time, do it with me. Yay, God. Father God, we come before you today as your people your people who desperately want to not just intellectually understand the depths of your love for us, but God, we want to know it in our being, and we want to walk in light of it, how different we are when we walk in your love, when we walk identified by being in Christ versus trying to find our identity in every other place, versus trying to walk feeling partially loved or maybe loved. We're confident of what it took for you to love us, that love is secure, it is immense, it is lavished. And for that, we say thank you. Now, if you're here today at Trinity Church and you have never responded to this invitation that God made, remember, even in our story today, that when the slave was freed, the locks were popped, the slave had every opportunity to do a host of things, to simply stay there, Even though the invitation is being made to come home, he could have stayed because he's been made free. The invitation to run, or the opportunity to do so, that was an opportunity as well, but instead, the invitation that God makes is to say, would you come home with me? If you've never made that decision, you can make it today through the lens of what we call the ABCs. A is admit. Admit that you're on the slave block itself. When you do, you're simply admitting that you're a part of the human race. Because the Bible teaches us that both by nature and behavior we're sinners who live apart from God's design. B is to believe. Believe that that Jesus redemption, that Jesus sacrifice in your place actually can make you right with God, can make you acceptable to him, can change the name on the back of your jersey because of who he is. And then C is choose. Choose to say, I, out of this new name, I'm going to walk according to it this week. 
You can make that decision before you even leave this place today. And my encouragement to you is that you would. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for making us yours. We pray in the great name of Jesus.